Hey everybody, welcome to the Portland Firefighters Association podcast, the PFFA pod. I'm your host, Kyle McLowry, and I'm pretty excited about this episode, talking with attorney Aruna Masi. She is a PERS expert and um, PFFA's attorney for the current pension protection negotiations that we are, uh, where we are fighting for our tier three officer members pension protection and um, a handful of our, well, we only have a handful of the tier two members. I would recommend our OPSERT members, the Tier 3 members, to listen to this short 35-minute discussion. I have gone through and listened to it several times, and I've put timestamps of the several of the different subjects that we discuss in the show notes, um, because we start very much at the beginning, some of the basics and acronyms used in PERS, and if you already have a good working knowledge of PERS and PERS-related stuff, you can easily navigate to your issues of interest. I will say that as I listened um, the past few times, it's a little frustrating that there's definitely opportunities for some good follow-up questions that I missed. So I've generated already uh, some other follow-up questions that hopefully are likely we're going to have for a round two with Aruna for, for another interview. So if you just stay with me at the end of this discussion, it makes more sense to reference them at the end. I can sort of tell you what I've got for follow-ups, as well as give you information you need to get any of your questions answered, should you have them. Thanks. So thank you for taking the time to talk to me and talk to all the membership. Um, like I said, I learn everything every time we do have a conversation about PERS. Uh, but for even for myself and for the people listening, can you just give us a little bit of your background? You know, obviously we all know you're an attorney, but who you, who you're an attorney for and just your, some of your history working with PERS and PERS litigation over the years? Sure, happy to do that. So I have been an attorney now since 1997. The years seem to fly by so quickly mm -hmm. and yeah. been practicing primarily labor and employment law, representing employees in civil rights cases, as well as labor unions, primarily public sector unions and labor yeah. disputes now for the last 23 years. And uh -huh. unfortunately, I think almost 17 of those 23 years, I've been part of my firm's PERS coalition team fighting to preserve PERS retirement benefits. It's sad that we've been under attack for that long, but uh, unfortunately, I and others in my firm have had to step up to help the PERS coalition of unions, which have represented uh, PERS members to fight back against some of those cuts that have been made over the years. So I was part of the PERS team way back in 2003 when they created the OPSERP system and participated in the Strunk case litigation way back uh -huh. then. And then again, obviously, 10 years later, we had the second set of reforms, uh, which resulted in the Morrow case. I participated mm -hmm. in that litigation as mm -hmm. well. And then obviously, most recently in 2019, we had Senate Bill 1049 pass, and I was uh, the representative, the main representative for the PERS coalition, went testified before the legislature and also litigated the James case before the Supreme Court. So... It's sad, but it's been 17 years of pushing back against some of these uh, pension cuts. So you have been involved with OPSERP from the very beginning. Correct. Was even, even before Portland Fire was involved with it, you were there on the front lines um, for the rest of the unions in the state. Correct. So in 2003 is when OPSERP was created. It's the third tier of the PERS system. And mm -hmm. uh, Greg and I were involved both 
before the legislature and then as part of the litigation. And that was Greg Hartman. Greg Hartman, my yes. partner who has represented the PERS coalition since the 90s. Yeah, he's a very well, very well-known attorney in the uh, in the state labor uh, uh, fights that have gone on. Yeah, he's an he's an amazing attorney. Um, so let's talk about some. Essentially, we're going to be talking about Senate Bill 1049. That's sort of where, where we're getting to here, and some of the impacts. Um, but you know, like not I mentioned, we talked about this. Not all the membership is really up to date. Not all PERS nerds, and I'm in, working on my PERS nerd status. But um, just for some of the uh, basic stuff, can you just tell us, give us some of these? There's a lot of acronyms that are used. So obviously PERS is the Public Employee Retirement System. Um, PERS. OPSERP, what does OPSERP stand for? So OPSERP is the third tier of the PERS system that was created. So within PERS, you have three different tiers. You have tier one are those employees who joined the PERS system prior to January 1 of 1996. And then you have the tier two members who joined after January 1 of 1996 and became members before they created the OPSERP system in August of 2003. And OPSERP is the Oregon Public Service Retirement Plan, and that's the third tier of the PERS system. And, and that's employees who joined the system after August of 2003. Um, and except for Pulling Fire, which was 2007. Correct. So We, we, we joined, uh, we were FPD&R, and now everyone after 2007 is uh, tier three OPSERP. Correct. And, okay. and I believe you have a few members who might be tier one and tier two mm -hmm. members who came from mm -hmm. other jurisdictions. But yes. for anyone hired into uh, the Portland fire after January 1 of 2007, yeah. they are part of the PERS system and not yeah, I think we have, I don't think we have any tier one members anymore. And it's just a handful, seven or eight tier two. There you I go. Um, so... Uh, the the pension or there's two two parts of the pension the defined benefit and IAP um, can you just super quickly give uh, the brief overview of those two parts for people yeah happy to talk about that one thing that I think all members should look to is there's a document called the PERS by the numbers document which is put out uh -huh. by PERS uh, they update it almost annually and if you just Google PERS by the numbers, Oregon PERS, it, it, it will come up. It's a PDF document and it has so much valuable information. Oftentimes when I'm looking for information as well, I go to that document. So I recommend that members go look at that. But uh, as that document explains in the PERS system, there, there are two different kinds of benefits that members get. You get a defined benefit, uh, benefit which is a pension benefit. Right. Uh, and that's a pension for a lifetime. And in addition to that, since 2003, members, all three tiers of members also get um, an account in the individual account program into which the 6% employee contributions have gone since the creation of that uh, program. So in the old days, uh, employees... 6% employee contributions went to help pay for that defined pension benefit. But since 2003, they have gone into this individual account program, and that provides an additional lump sum benefit uh, at the time of retirement. Members can right. take it as a single lump sum to use, or they can also annuitize that amount as and get it over right. time. And over a course of a, of a career, it's a significant amount of money, the IEP. So the IEP is that individual account program. Correct. 
and it is a market-based account. Correct. Yes. It's invested by the Oregon Investment Council, and it it has done fairly well over the course of its existence. Yeah. Um, another one that you hear a lot about is the UAL, Unfunded Actuarial Liability. And it's one that I still actually struggle with a little bit. So, um, and I'll let you talk about it one second, but I always heard about Senate Bill 1049 being part of uh, an effort to fix the problem of the UAL. And we'll get into some of those details a little bit more. But can you just maybe um, talk a little bit about how the UAL is defined every few years um, and what exactly the problem was? What was wrong with the UAL? So the UAL is the acronym which stands for the Unfunded Actuarial Liability of the System. And, and that's really just the difference between the amount we currently have in assets versus the amount we owe in benefits. And as of the end of 2019, uh, we uh, had about a $24.6 billion shortfall between the amount of assets that we have sitting around to pay for benefits and the actual amount uh, in benefits that we owe. And uh, during the legislative session, uh, this was something that was discussed because obviously as part of uh, employer rates, they need to include some contribution related to this shortfall that exists in the system. And uh, as that has grown, the amount of the employer rates being paid in uh, related to that unfunded liability has grown. So it was something that was of concern to the legislature, and they definitely were talking about how to go about reducing employer rates related to this unfunded liability, and that's what eventually led to uh, the passage of Senate Bill 1040. Yeah, that's you know, let's just jump right into there into the employer rates because that's I think something that's a little confusing as well. Um, every every public employer has a rate assigned to them. <laughs> I'm not sure I remember exactly how the assignment is, is set up. It's done every two years, I believe. Correct. So um, <clears throat> the PERS actuary is charged with looking at the financial health of the system um, at the end of each year. And that's called the valuation process. And yeah. uh, the odd number year valuation is the one that's used to set the employer rates, which go into effect about 18 months later. So uh, for example, the status of the system, the financial health of the system at the end of 2017 is what set the employer rates uh, for the 2019-2021 biennium. And the financial health of the system at the end of 2019 is what will set the rates for the 2021-2023 biennium. The employer rates are pretty key um, element to Senate Bill 1049, as I understand it. Can you? How do they work exactly? Is there an employer rate? Is that essentially attached to each employee? There's an amount that the that the employer is paying for the defined the, the IAP, and then on top of that, sort of in a, a separate direction they're paying employ the employer rates, or is it sort of a lump sum that's assigned to the entire group of employer employees for the seat? Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, the question makes sense, but uh, there's two different, the employer rates are really related to the defined benefit. So it's how we go about funding that pension benefit. Uh, the IAP contributions, like you indicated, the employee contributions to the extent the employer is paying that on behalf of employees are calculated separately and apart from okay. the employer rate order. So the employer okay. rate order 
um, has two different components. It has uh, a component, which in the PERS lingo is known as normal cost, and that's the cost, the going forward cost of a pension benefit for all of, for example, the city of Portland's employees. Okay. And then it has a second component, which is the UAL component. And that is the component uh, that's related to the shortfall, which exists between the amount that the city of Portland um, owes and benefits, both for retirees and potentially current members, uh, and the amount that it has sitting at PERS as assets to pay for those benefits. So the employer will get a bill, which will have a part, which is the going forward cost of your current employees, and a mm-hmm. part which addresses this, this shortfall that exists based on what's already happened for their employees. So it sounds like ultimately these employer rates just tend to just continue to climb. Would that be fairly accurate? Not necessarily. So, for example, prior to the 2008 market crash, uh, PERS was more than 100% funded. So it really is dependent upon the market. So if you look at the PERS by the numbers document, you'll see that almost 74% of the overall assets of the system come from investment earnings. About, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 21 something percent come from employer contributions and then um, a, a smaller percentage come from the employee monies that were contributed prior to the 2003 changes. But uh, the, the main issue is that the vast majority of the assets of the system come from investments. And depending on mm. how those investments are doing, there may or may mm. not be a, a shortfall and uh, a climb in the rates. But yes, there's right. always going to be at least a normal cost kind of rate order because you're paying as you go along for the the pension benefits that your employees right. are accruing by providing service now. The pay as they go. Correct. Right. Um, so essentially, there's a very direct relationship between the UAL shortfall and the employer rates. They just, as the UAL grows or the shortfall grows, the, the rates grow to cover that. Correct. Okay. All right. Um, and we'll re- revisit that again, I think, when we talk about 1049. The only other thing I wanted to just hit real quick was the uh, EPSA, which is a new acronym that came, at least for me it is, after 1049. Can you just talk to the, about the EPSA real quick? Sure. That's the Employee Pension Stability Account. So this was the new account that was created by Senate Bill 1049. And this is the account into which part of the employee's 6% contribution from the IAP will be diverted to pay for an employee's own going forward pension costs. And this is the what we refer to as the IAP diversion kind of, of issue. Right. I need to hover on that point for just a moment. So that was something that really stuck in my mind, that that, that diversion is essentially being is supposed to be the market-based um, benefit for our members. This portion is being taken out of that to pay for their own pension when they retire. Correct. That is, okay. So currently 6% employee contributions are being submitted um, into the employee IAP account on behalf of all PERS members. Obviously, we'll talk about the, the Portland situation in which you're Employer is also paying an additional 3% in lieu of Social Security. But in any event, for all uh, PERS and OPSERT members, there is about 6% going into the IAP account, which is the 6% employee contribution. 
And under Senate Bill 1049, uh, part of that 6% employee contribution is being diverted to go sit in this employee pension stability account. And that account will be tapped at the time of retirement to help pay for uh, the employee's pension costs. So let's dive right into this. So that essentially is saying that EPSA stability account is, is going to effectively lower the UAL. It, which is then effectively going to lower the employer rates. Is that the effect? So um, there's, like I was explaining, there's there's those two different components of an employer rate. There's the normal cost, which is the cost yeah. of the employee's pension, pension benefits going forward. And there's the UAL component. And both of those components come together to create the employer mm, rate. Okay. So the EPSA okay. will reduce employer rates but it will be assigned really to the normal cost component. But nevertheless, this was the argument, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it, the argument we were raised well, before just, the, just the Oregon it. Supreme Court. Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, does this not make sense? It's where we're going. We can come back to other stuff later. So let's talk about that, that argument in the Supreme Court, because I think that's important. So it's very clear that why did the legislature pass Senate Bill 1049? It was because the employer rates were high. Uh, employers mm-hmm. are feeling the, the financial pain associated with paying uh, high employer rates. But what is the real reason why those employer rate orders were high? They were high because we had had uh, an econo- economic downfall and we're slowly working our way back out of that. And the unfunded liability component of the employer rate orders was incredibly high. And so the real pain was associated in those rate orders with the amount that was owed for the UAL and for those employees uh, who are already out of the system or for benefits that have already been earned. Um, And so uh, employers went before the legislature to request some kind of relief from their rate orders. Now, what Mm -hmm. the legislature actually did, they didn't just say, we'll take something from current active members and use it to lower the UAL. What they did was effectively lower overall employer rate orders. And they did Mm -hmm. it by relieving employers from paying for some of the future pension benefits owed to current active members. They said they pretended like uh, the assets that would be available to to fund uh, the employer rates uh, were higher um, than employers were actually paying in. How? Mm-hmm. By virtue of taking some of the employees' money out of the IAP account to go sit in the asset side of, of the ledger for employers. And what we told the Oregon Supreme Court was, you need to look beneath the surface. What is really mm-hmm. happening here? The mm-hmm. goal is... The legislature is trying to relieve employers of some of their uh, financial burden. What is that financial burden really related to? The pain that they're feeling is the pain of the unfunded liability of the system. Mm -hmm. And this is really a uh, mechanism to relieve some of that pain. And how are you accomplishing this as you're taking money from current active members to relieve that pain, whether you it's been dressed up as, you know, going into this EPSA to pay for the employee's own future pension benefits, Mm -hmm. but you need to look beneath the surface and see what they're really trying to accomplish, which is relieve employer pain. And that pain is attributable to the unfunded liability. 
unfortunately, the Supreme Court uh, didn't agree with us. They weren't willing to look beneath the surface. They're like, on the surface, it looks just fine to us. It looks like this money is going into this account, which will be used to pay for an employee's own pension benefits. And we're not going to look beneath that to see what was the legislature's real intent, which was to lower right. employer uh, rates, to relieve them of this financial pain they have associated with the UAL. We'll just look at the language of the statute and the language of the statute says this money will sit in an account and when an employee retires, that account will be tapped along with the employer reserves to pay for the employee's own pension benefits. It's kind of taking money from our employee's right pocket and put it in their left pocket. Correct. Um, and this is somewhat of a, of a sidestep. Uh, is there, was there any discussion about the difference between the diff how the different tiers are affecting the UAL? Because that was something that was I had heard about a bunch in the past, that a lot of the UAL pain is from more from tier one and tier two. Was that something that was really, you know, I don't know, important or worthwhile discussing during that well, that case? So, absolutely. I mean, we talked about the fact that the OPSERP system is a separate system. It's the new system that was, like I said, was created in two thousand and three. The unfunded liability associated with that system is is lower. The normal costs associated with that system is lower. And so, and before the legislature, I was very honest with the committee saying, look, you now have a system for current active members and OPSERT members are becoming the majority members within the system of current actives. And that system is a financially affordable system. And why right. are you tapping these individuals who are already mm -hmm. getting less in benefits, aren't part of the UAL pain? Why are we tapping these employees um, to help? Uh, relieve some pain that is being felt related primarily to retirees and to mm -hmm. inactives. And, and those are individuals who've, who've uh, provided some service, have, have accounts yeah. sitting in the system, will be yeah. entitled to benefits, but are out of the system. So aren't providing current service. The vast majority of the UAL is attributable to those people. Right. Did they have any answer for that, for why they would choose that or it's just because they can uh they don't have to give us the answer <laughs> but uh they they were pretty clear amongst themselves when they were testifying mm -hmm. as well as you know on the floor when they were voting that they felt like this ual was getting you know high and they wanted to relieve employers of the burden of that ual many legislators did speak out and say this is really a shared burden it's benefits that our promise to public employees for service yeah. has been provided to all of us. This should be a shared cost, and we shouldn't really be calling upon current active employees to step right. up and help out with that problem. Huh. Okay. Uh, my mind went a couple different directions there. I'm going to try and I'll let that stuff go. Um, I, I just check in my notes real quick, and I wanted to see if we could pivot a tiny bit. Now we can come back to that if we want to, but to the voluntary contribution. Um, so I think most, well, I, I don't want to assume, many people may know about this, but I've, that the diversion for the OPSRT members is 0.75%. There's an opportunity, um, and that's already been taken out starting July 1st. Um, and I think you'll probably mention this, it hasn't been too bad because of the, the um, there hasn't been much in the way of interest over the past few months that has been lost as far as compounding interest. But there is an opportunity to voluntarily for the employees to 
make up that uh, loss contributions going backwards and then moving forwards as well. Um, do you have any more information about that? I believe it's by October 1st they have to elect that. Is that correct? Sure. So we've been in discussions with the city of Portland. City of Portland uh, people are talking to PERS because they're setting up behind the scenes the ability under Senate Bill 1049 for our members to be able to make up some of that loss to their IAP that comes from Senate Bill 1049. So as you mentioned, for OPSERT members, 0.75% will be diverted from their IAP account into this EPSA account. And employees have an opportunity to, through post-tax dollars, to make up that 0.75% that they're losing in their IAP account. And currently, they've set a September 30th deadline for, mm -hmm. by which people, if you want to make retroactive uh voluntary contributions to the IEP. They need to get that done by September 30th. And they're going to open up, and this will be done through the online member services account that PERS has. So if you go to their website, you'll see at the top of the website is OMS mm -hmm. or a link to the online member services. And each person has an account there. Um, if they haven't accessed that account, they really should go online and, and check it out check and, it out. and yeah. um, make sure that what's been reported thus far looks accurate. I, I recommend members do that regularly, maybe at least, yeah. you know, once every quarter or at least once a year, they should go on there and check to make sure everything's going correctly. But through that online member services account, they'll open it up, I believe on September 20th, and there will be a form through that account for them to elect to make these voluntary retroactive contributions back to the July 1st date. Okay. So you did say that that's all available on the website, the PERS website for, for the members? Correct. So um, and I, I have to say, I'm not, I'm not an for member, so I've never done that before. I assume it's all pretty straightforward when somebody goes on the website. I, um, I have not. I mean, obviously, this part is all new to us, so we will see how that will be created. Yeah. But September 20th is the date by which PERS is predicting that whatever form they will be providing to make that election will be available. We can follow up. Yep. I think we should educate our members to get on there. Yeah. And if they're having problems finding it um, after September 20th, they, they should get a hold of you and and, and okay. you can connect with me and I can certainly talk to PERS to make it more obvious if it's not clear for members right. on how to do that. Right. So that September 30th deadline is to get the retro payment in. Do you know if going forward, if anybody wants to elect to start paying their voluntary contribution say next february can they probably probably Absolutely. be able to do that when, so going yeah. forward at any point when a member decides they want to participate and and make up that iap contribution they will have an opportunity to do that uh the pers regulations have built in a little bit of a lag time so just be aware that um it might take about an, a month to a month and a half for those um contributions to actually kick in there's one newish piece of information. I just saw the email yesterday. The target date funds, um, which has historically been based on your birth date, that's, that's changed. Maybe it was before yesterday. So yesterday was the first day I heard about it. Can you also just explain what's changed with that a little bit? Sure. So uh, originally when the individual account program, the IAP was created into which the employee contributions are going. There weren't any target date funds. It was just invested uh, together. 
Um, mm-hmm. That amount kept growing. And as certain individuals were getting closer to retirement, the Oregon Investment Council uh, determined that you know they wanted to live up to their fiduciary obligation to protect some of those IAP monies for those who were getting closer to retirement. And so they sure. created uh, a target date kind of fund. And, and some of you may be familiar with that kind of concept, um, if you invest in other kinds of vehicles where, you know, you yeah. start out more aggressive when you're younger and mm-hmm. as you get closer mm-hmm. to retirement, you want it to be invested more uh, conservatively so that sure. you can tap that sure. money closer to retirement. That's the similar concept with the target date funds. You get assigned to a fund based on your birth year. Uh, right. So they kind of estimate when you might be eligible for retirement and, uh, depending on you know how close you get to retirement your target date fund gets invested more and more conservatively and what's happened more recently is that the first coalition worked to give members an opportunity to have choice of which target date fund they wanted to be invested invested in and and not just have to leave their money in the target date fund that's associated with their birth year because maybe you joined the system you know uh closer to retirement and you want it to be more conservative than what you've been assigned or, you know, uh, there are a variety of different fact scenarios. Um, You and I have talked in the past about a situation in which you have other retirement money somewhere else that you're invested Mm -hmm. in. And so you feel a little um, less risk averse with your IAP money. And so you should be given an option on how that money is invested. And so what PERS just sent out and you were referring to earlier was an email just educating PERS members, OPSERT members about this opportunity to elect a different target date fund than the one that they're currently invested in based on their birthday. Yeah. And the one thing I would just add to that is particularly um, of interest that firefighters across the state and certainly Portland firefighters is we tend to retire earlier. So if you do have that bit of you want to be a little bit more risk averse at the end of your retirement, it gives you the opportunity to get a little bit more conservative and not by using your actual retirement date, not your, your birthday, which is something that could certainly be of use to our membership. Absolutely. Um, probably not immediately, but uh, our OPSERT members, you know, we have some now that are, what, 13, 14, 14 years in or so. Is that right? Oh, seven. Yeah, 13 yeah. years in. Um, well, the last thing I want to just touch on, if um, we can talk a little bit about this, specifically Portland Fire, uh, we are currently uh, in our last contract negotiations. We were talking about protecting this this pension um, diversion for officer and our tier two members. I have to apologize to tier two. I often leave you out of the equation. I don't mean to do it, but I primarily focus on the officer members. Um, and so we're going into a single issue negotiation, just the pension protection um, for this diversion. And we have, oh gosh, we are, that negotiation started July 1st. And what is today's date? September 2nd, I think. So um, we have about 60 days left of our direct bargaining, something in that, in that, in that nature. We've passed over our initial proposal. Um, the proposal from the city came back um, basically just striking everything that we, we had, they have not offered anything of substance back. Um, from my point of view, and you can speak to this as well, I don't think there's any real secrets here. It looks like we're moving towards arbitration. 
Do you see, let me start with the first question. Do you see us probably moving or heading towards arbitration for this issue? Well, um, thus far, it looks like the city of Portland is not really interested in uh, providing any kind of contribution to help make up uh, the loss that members are suffering as a result of Senate Bill 1049. So as we know, when the city of Portland agreed or we agreed with the city of Portland to allow our uh, members who joined after January 1 of, of 2007 to be part of the OPSERT system, the city agreed that they would be paying 6% of an employee contribution into the IAP and 3% mm-hmm. in lieu of Social Security. And, and that was the deal that was struck back then. Mm-hmm. And I think the goal of the PFFA is really to get members back to that promise that was made to them um, when they were put into the OPSERP system. And the proposal is is simple. It's just asking for this because in the IEP, there is this, this option of, for an employer to make voluntary employer contributions, pre-tax right. employer contributions into the IAP account. And, and that is the employer IAP account. And that's the account mm-hmm. into which the 3% in lieu of social security is currently going. And all that we're asking mm-hmm. the city to do is to, to pay additional whole number amounts into that employer account to make up for that loss. Uh, the statute for the employer account really requires a whole number. And so right, to make up right. that loss of the 2.5% to tier two and 0.75% to OPSERT members, we're asking for a whole number amount to be contributed into that um, employer account. And then the employer can deduct the difference between that whole number of contribution amount and the actual amount that's being diverted to, to the EPSAS. So, so for example, right. for tier two members, the proposal asks for 3% to be contributed into the employer account and 0.5% to be deducted from pay. And for OPSERT members, 1% contributed and 0.25% back, um, right. which to me seems like we're just asking the city of Portland to to make these members whole for that kind of pension loss. We know that, as you mentioned, your members retire earlier. This is yeah. an important, the IEP is an important benefit for firefighters and all that's being asked for is for them to be made whole. But currently the city doesn't appear interested in providing anything. Um, and so we shall see, but it, it currently looks like that's where we're headed is interest okay. arbitration. That was a very good uh, diplomatic way of answering that. Way better than what I was going to say. Good. <laughs> um, and, okay, I can just leave it at that. I think we have, and this is from, from my point of view, I think we have lots of ways to demonstrate that we are, well, we're different from the other members in the PERS system, or at least in the city, and, and that we, we can be and should be made whole, um, our, our, our OPSERT members. Um, I'll say it does look to me like, with the experience I've had negotiating with the city, that um, we are headed that direction. So I would just end with, um, thank you so much for your time. Before you go, is there anything you think that we missed or you want to add that might be of, of interest to the OPSERT members or the, the PERS members? I can't think of anything. You, you 
done a good job. And I just recommend that people who participate in PERS, and I think I said this earlier, um, go on the PERS website, really get educated about um, both the impact of Senate Bill 1049, as well as, you know, the opportunities that they have to make up some of the, the loss, whether it's through voluntary uh, makeup contributions, whether it's in how they go about investing their target date funds. But there's a lot of ways in which if you're more educated, you can probably make up some of those loss, losses. And I encourage people to do that. Awesome. Thank you so much. Happy to do it. Take care. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. And I'm back. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for making it through, if you are still with us. So I wanted to start out by... Um, just letting you know if you have any questions to direct them initially to the PERS protection, um, or sorry, the pension protection negotiations team, which is myself, Alan Fershweiler, Travis Chipman, Jason Lehman, Brian Dundon, and John Davies. We should be a, a good, any one of us should be a good start at least for any questions that were generated. Um, one thing that I definitely forgot to talk to Aruna about is the concept of the site accounts. And I've gone to the PERS by numbers document since um, our conversation. And there's a fair amount of information about site accounts, particularly in the second half of the document. And I think it'd be good to discuss with her um, just that concept a little bit and how it could affect the employer rates. And also, as she made it very clear to me, you know, the employer rates have those two components, the UAL component and the going forward costs. And as I looked through the document, it was very hard for me to parse out um, what makes up the the rate, the percentage that makes the employer rate, and how much is the UAL, how much is it going forward. And I'd like to see if we could get some more information on that. The, la the latest biennium employer rate was 25% of payroll, and it has certainly increased over the years. Uh, and I just think it would be good information to know how much, how it's weighted in terms of which, which how much is UAL, how much is going forward. So that's really all I got. Appreciate everybody out there listening. And um, hopefully to get some more questions from you all, we'll go for a round two with Aruna um, at some point. Thanks.